WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 25, we talk about the Atlanta Intercity Visit, Project Quattro, a.k.a. Amazon, and the Clean Energy Resolution. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to R&D in the QC, episode... 25! We've reached the quarter century mark. I can't believe you just did it. You know, the inspiration I gave you, I think that was always what I was looking for from you in the Yeah, opening. but Michael Buffer's so cliche for announcer voices. Yeah, but it, it did what it needed to do to get you in, in, the, in the right mode. Literally, like, everybody who has not given us five stars has complained about the volume upon entry on this show we are leaders that go our own route larkin we are here to chart our own paths i wonder if anyone's veered off of the road while listening to our podcast because of the they did just now if it uh, happened if it happened it happened in that intro very abrupt introduction to the show um as folks who follow us on social media know that we have spent the last couple of days in atlanta you and i the atl dr justin harlow and the atlanta native uh, Mayor Pro Tem Isolt, Mayor Lyles, Smudgy Mitchell, and Popcorn Greg Phipps. Um, we were all down in Atlanta for the Chamber of Commerce Intercity Visit, which is an annual trip planned by the Chamber and its board um, to explore a peer city, learn some of the best practices, and maybe some of the things that that city has done. Some of the worst practices. That we might want to avoid as we continue to grow. Uh, and so Atlanta, at first, you know, I think we've all spent time in Atlanta but I hadn't been there in probably four or five years, and even then it was kind of a, a shorter visit. So I don't know that I really understood how much Atlanta had going on, um, you know, both things we want to emulate and things we don't. Yeah, I definitely walked away. No, like, I, I thought I knew Atlanta, and I realized after that trip I really didn't know it at all. And, and seeing it at that level is obviously, with you know, with the subject matter experts who are explaining how this building, how this transportation mode or whatever it is came to be. I mean, it, 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 I haven't given it as much credit as I probably should have in the past. There's also some strange dynamics uh, in the way that Atlanta's population is distributed Atlanta as a city is only like 400 and some thousand people. So it's about half the size of Charlotte, but then the Metro region at 5 million or so is about double the size of Charlotte's Metro region. So their population is spread out across a lot more counties. Um, far less of it is in their downtown. Their downtown actually is not nearly as built out and, and kind of shiny and nice as ours is, but then they have several, what people might deem downtowns. They've got downtown, midtown, Buckhead, um, you know they've got three or four skylines, so it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic how that city was built out. Um, but there were a lot of things that they've done in terms of you know the transportation system is uh, from a public transit's point of perspective, they've got a rail system that's far more built out than ours. Um, we saw the Beltline, which uh, I think 
probably to a person everyone was pretty envious of that, that they've got. It's a 22-mile loop around um, their downtown, midtown area, multi-use path, and the investment that's been that's been spurred by that line has been incredible. So I think that should motivate us as a city and a county to to be more aggressive about our greenway system, about the Cross Charlotte Trail and the Carolina Thread Trail. But um, one of the big ticket items we saw. So wait, we arrived Wednesday morning, right? Yes. And then we get to the hotel. The whole thing starts. The uh, mayor of Atlanta walked up. Mayor Bottoms. Uh, with her security detail. Secret Service. Secret Service. <laughs> I mean, a big deal there. It's a big deal down there. And then uh, we heard from her. We heard from the president of that that metro area chamber, which um, I was impressed with. Talked about fintech several times. Of course, I'm going to be impressed with. And uh, what was your take on that morning? And then what did we do? I'm not remembering the order of everything we did because we did so much and it was all it was also uh, crammed in. But um, no, I was, I was glad that the mayor was there. They um, like us have a, a very dynamic um, African American female as their mayor, and I think um, you know she she was. I'm not going to say as impressive as Mayor Lyles because you know Mayor Lyles that's can't that's our that. mayor. You just can't beat that. Yeah. But uh, but she was impressive, and it was you know it's nice when when we go to those places that that. Uh, the leader of that city is um, sees it as significant in us that we're visiting to learn from them uh, that they want to be there to welcome us. So I was appreciative of that. I thought all the panelists that they had were good. And, and again, they were panelists, not just from Atlanta proper, but um, from at times surrounding counties and, and larger regional organizations. And I think that we've got to start looking at Charlotte more as a region. Obviously you and I only have purview in terms of our votes over things that are in the city of Charlotte proper, but the things that impact our city, uh, both ingoing and outgoing, it's really a regional thing. And, and we talked a little bit, and I think it might've been that session that people first started mentioning this idea of a mega region, which really stretches from Atlanta to Charlotte with Greenville in the middle, uh, Greenville, South Carolina in the middle. And we've, at some point as the populations continue to expand outside of the cities and we continue to build um, rapid transit along corridors like 85, hopefully with high-speed rail at some point between Charlotte and Atlanta, this will become a mega region. And that's kind of hard to think about where we sit now, but I think we've got to start having kind of bigger picture discussions like that. So then we, uh, we hopped out onto a bus and headed over to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And it is a Mercedes. And it is a Benz, indeed. It was um, it was everything it's cracked up to be. Uh, you mentioned tonight in our meeting some of the discussions. I mean, people are starting to, to think about what the future of the Panthers looks like. And a lot of people look at that stadium and, and other stadiums and – you know, they say, is that, is that where we're headed? I, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see. I think we need to dig deeper into what the financing model was for the Atlanta stadium, but you put that aside for a second. This is an incredible facility. Well, it's really hard for our listeners to imagine it. And I think the best thing we could do right now is to go live for a live report in the field with our time machine back to last Wednesday. What do you say, Larkin? Here we go. Let's go live. Welcome back, folks. Larkin, tell our audience where we are standing right now. 
we are standing on the pitch, and it's a pitch, not a field, because there is a soccer match tonight at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in downtown Atlanta. Now, soccer, explain that to people in Charlotte. I don't know that they're going to be familiar with that term. Soccer's like basketball, but you're only allowed to use your feet. Wait a minute. You're kidding me right now. It's a thing. They play it in Europe. It's very... I'm sorry, where? In Europe. Oh, I haven't heard Across the ocean. Uh, The Atlanta United, the most successful both in terms of performance and in terms of attendance, MLS team in the country, and we are standing on their pitch, and it is pretty remarkable. So we just heard some speakers from Arthur Blank's different uh, different <laughs> uh, dimensions and tentacles. universes, tentacles, about how it was built, about how they invested in the community. Clearly a lot of money went into this, a lot of taxpayer dollars. But, I mean, when you put all that aside and just look at this in awe, I mean, what do you think? It's pretty significant. Yeah, if you forget that it costs $2 billion, <laughs> why, why don't we have at least one of these, if not two? No, I mean, I, you know, as we've talked about tourism dollars, these are tourism dollars. It's not local taxpayer dollars. But but finding $200 million like they did oh. on the uh, – well, we got Tom Murray here. What, Tom, Tom Murray. Tom, welcome to the show. Tom, we are standing here. People, uh, Tom, how it's not all – it's not Atlanta taxpayer dollars here. It's visitor taxpayer dollars. Uh, but how do you get to $200 million? Tom Murray from the CRVA. Uh, what do you think about when you stand in here and uh, think about all the things in your scope, my friend? Well, you remember that we put uh, $87.5 million into our stadium from the convention center fund not just a few years ago. And we didn't get anything close to this. <laughs> well, we're very proud of our we're stadium. We're going to need you to leverage, Tom. We're very proud of our stadium, but it, you can see what the power of uh, an owner like Arthur Blank can have in, on our community, and we hope for that as well. For and and Tepper's owner is pretty rich, too. Tepper's net worth is more than Blank's, from what I understand, which might not be a bad thing given we're going to need help. But what, what do you think's in store for us this summer and later as a council? As we, I mean, everyone knows this is floating out there and we all know the no comment. We don't know till we don't know, but clearly we're getting to a point. I mean, th- this trip and seeing this firsthand is good for us to understand how they did it here and the good and the bad and everything. But what, what you'll see is these stadiums are so expensive that you really have to have multi-uses. And so to be able to do MLS and um, football, actually, you know, football is eight games, LMLS is 17 home games, and then you do the college games, and today we have three games. They have six college games, which is kind of interesting, um, but it's really about how many events you can get in a facility like this to make the returns work, and, uh, and I think that's what will be the future, whether it's in this our existing stadium or a future stadium, it will be trying to get as many events in as possible. You just have to remember there are not many events that fill 72,000 seats. I will say a couple of things. One, they've done an incredible job with the curtain treatments to uh, cover the upper deck for these MLS games. I bet that was important for the MLS to approve it. I talked to the uh, marketing manager for the United here, and she was telling me that that they've really resisted opening those up even though there's demand for some of those seats because they feel like this more intimate environment gives more energy and all that. I'm going to give Tom some homework based on the – the panel we just listened to yes. in there, the parking aggregator. I know he put this down on his notepad, but uh, the, what that could do for you know vehicle emissions, for congestion of traffic, for game day fan experience in Charlotte, we don't have that in Atlanta. They're aggregating all the available parking on game days so people can prepay, know exactly where they're driving to, and not drive around looking for a parking space. Tom, can you get that done before the start of the next NFL season? Plus, also, the c- more control over food and Bev and the pricing and, and some of the things they have benefit. We, we'd like you to commit right now verbally to all these things. Uh, no comment. 
Okay, so good. So last question. Last question. We don't allow no comment. Last question. Trivia question. Do you know what the locals look up, refer to the retracting roof here in Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Is this something about a watch? <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, a camera? They refer to it as Megatron's butthole. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Yes, that is a fact locally. Larkin, you were aware of that, right? Only because you told me 10 minutes ago. It's a thing. Google it, my friend. All right, Larkin, final thoughts before we do a quick loop around here and ask one word that describes how they feel about this pretty massive stadium. Any final thoughts on what you heard today for this segment? No, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be... Well, then that's another thing that I just overheard behind us. That this is the turf. We're actually putting a Memorial Stadium, so it's kind of interesting to see. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't think something like this is in our near future. But oh, this is the AstroTurf we're using? <laughs> yes. But I, I do think this is – we can learn lessons from, from the way things are being done here to improve our experience for our fans. All right, let's take a walk real quick. Let's see. We can each call out anyone uh, we'd like. And the, the, the rule is this. <laughs> Describe in one sentence or less what you see right now. For our audio listeners that are out there, hold on. Well, there's Michael Marsicano. Michael Marsicano is with Julie Eiselt. This will be a double Mr. whammy. Marcicano. Mr. Marsicano and Miss Eiselt, welcome to the show. We are doing the podcast live right now. Uh, and all we're asking is one question. We've, we, we're sitting inside this beautiful stadium. Forget about the backstory or the relevance to Charlotte. What is one sentence or less from each of you that describes what you see and the importance and uh, what you relay to audio listeners who cannot see this? Well, I was particularly impressed that the owners of the team made sure that the prices were targeted to be able to have access across the community to watch the teams play. And it really is a mer- marriage of philanthropic intent and commercial enterprise. And indeed. Indeed, Julie. Yeah, it wasn't taxpayer funded. It was, um, you know, it's how you really explain it to the community. It was the sports tax that is paying for it. Well, and, okay. Well, not we the locals. We have to discuss there. Not the locals, right. but yeah. the hotel and um, tourism tax. And I Beautiful. think that's, that's important for people to understand, not the sports tax. But indeed. Yeah. Mark, impressive though, right? Oh, man. St- Stadium Envy. So I have two, two Stadium words. Stadium Envy. Hold on. We've got Atlanta local expert. Atlanta. The, the, the sun has returned. The prodigal son, Justin Harlow, the doctor. How are you feeling right now back inside your native land? Look, I, I love this place. As everybody knows, uh, Atlanta is a fantastic city. It's all right. There's a lot of good, bad, and indifferent about this place. Atlanta Charlotte forever. should not be. <laughs> right, right. Wakanda and Atlanta. I don't think forever. you guys could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is this has been a great start to this trip to be in this in this arena in this this atmosphere to see what you know true public private partnership can do um, with the majority privately backed um, to get this type of venue is amazing. I think this city has so much to offer. The amount of events that you can create here, the amount of economic development, the job creation that goes along with this, and best of all, um, and we heard it earlier, is the stabilization of the communities around this. This was not a gentrifying project. This was not a project that came in and displaced people. Um, this was a really a wholesale, we're going to create jobs, we're going to stabilize communities, we're going to protect people in their homes, and we're going to do it on a side of town that we 
we know that there were dreams deferred. And if you know anything about the west side of Atlanta, it's very similar to the west side of Charlotte. Vine City is no different. Northside Drive is no different than Beatty's Fort Road. And, and you modeled some of your aging in place program and concept after what you saw Arthur Blank and this community do here, right? That's exactly right. So the West Side Future Fund, which was really just a, a spinoff of the of the larger uh, Blank Foundation uh, initiative to stabilize the Vine City community and literally allow senior citizens in historically African-American uh, community where they're building a stadium to age in place. We have now added that into the budget. They started first with home displacement and, um, and, and allowing senior citizen tax uh, subsidies. The next step is job development and workforce development to allow it to be an ongoing cycle for economic mobility. The good doctor. All right, so for our last special guest on this on-the-pitch edition Uh-oh, of r and in the QC, we got Mr. Stadium himself, James Smudgy <laughs> Mitchell. <laughs> and, and, and guess what Councilman Larkin said? Don't build it so quick, Smudgy. We can see you're excited. But I think this is great. This is the future of Charlotte when you're talking about MLS, 17 home games just for soccer. And then you've got to have the right owners about the fan experience and government and public uh, – Partnership. Partnership, thank you. And so we're looking forward to having a conversation. I got my honorary chairperson here, Tarek of ED. And so honorary chairperson. I didn't I was honorary member before today. Honorary chair. But listen, we gotta we gotta we have a we have some tough conversations. We have some we have some tough conversations on my honorary committee that you chair, E D, to make sure that we get something in the end that's as great, beautiful, impactful as this, but we make sure we're respectful and responsible with taxpayer dollars, right? Exactly right. I mean, and so we heard the model here. And so, you know, do we have an owner that will co-mingle with the Panthers and soccer? Uh, do we have an owner that we can find where to invest? And I think for us, that's what we need to look for, the that's right nice. owner. Smudgy says yes. Smudgy. Yes. Second. Larkin seconds. Larkin seconds. Third. We got the votes to build this yeah. thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. Well, guys. But seriously, we're, we're not going to build one of these. Yeah, yeah not, not at all. Yeah, no, no, no. Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> wait. To, we'll you got to wait till Smudgy leaves before you say that. We'll be right back. We'll be back. And we're back, Larkin. That really hopefully refreshed our memory, although we didn't listen to it ourselves. So what do you actually remember uh, as your main takeaways from the stadium? I have a few things. I'm going to let you start. Well, I think one of the things that I was encouraged by – well, first of all, I I will say, and I've I've talked to a couple people about this, I still believe, especially in the South – Football's played outdoors. So, you know, I don't necessarily envy that stadium as exactly what we want, but I'll tell you what I did see that I did like is there's been um, some rumors in the media and, and rumors just about that that our new Panthers owner might have some interest down the road in MLS soccer. And clearly we've had some folks in the community, in the Smiths and others, that have expressed an interest in MLS soccer previously. And part of what tripped them up was the the big ask on a dedicated stadium for MLS, which has been sort of the model that MLS has been using of, of late. But in Atlanta, they have in, in an incredible way managed to make the stadium work for both the Falcons NFL team and the United MLS team. And they have the not only most successful soccer team in MLS on the pitch, which is what they call their field, mm. but um, – but also in attendance. They have this enormous fan base. They're only like two years old. Um, they're selling out games, and they found a way to make that stadium, even despite its 75,000 seats, feel very intimate. And um, and they're using just the lower bowl for soccer, but putting 40-some thousand people in the stands for every single game. And so I think it's a model that's a lot more economically viable than trying to build standalone 
um, dedicated stadiums for every team you have in your city. So, you know, I think if there is a future for MLS in Charlotte, that that could be it. And I like the fact that uh, Arthur Blank and the the folks there in Atlanta have figured out a way to make those two things uh, work cohabitating. Yeah, and and so there is no doubt when you see that uh, stadium and when you see the inside operations and hear the stories. Yeah, of course, it's fantastic. It's wonderful to see. I think. For, and for our listeners out there, you know, I, I, we always try to give you not only what's going on, but what you can expect, an indication of what you can expect. And my gut feeling right now is that the entire second half of this year, it will slowly build, and the first half of next year is going to be Panthers mania around here, where we're going to be talking immensely about that. And to have seen the inside of that stadium and its story was really important, but also, you know, how people talk about things is, is, is also important. And it was presented to us on stage where the, you know, one of one of the lieutenants of Arthur Blank was talking. And I think we heard a lot of great intel on that, uh, but was, you know, described it as it was only a two hundred million dollar deal for taxpayers out of the hospitality fund. And two hundred million is a lot. But, that, you know, for what we were seeing there, that, may, that was pretty reasonable that they came to that number. But then later I read a few articles and, and actually saw there was something called a waterfall fund that it may have actually in net added 700 million in today's dollars um, that, that they're going to be getting uh, year over year with the stadium. So one of my asks was, what's the real story? I mean, look, we're going down this path. We need to learn from other cities. What's the actual story? Because I bet you there's a sub kind of subset of Atlanta. Like there's a subset here where people who are really in the weeds of these things who would stand up and say it was absolutely not $200 million. It was $700 million. And it's something that the ROI is insane on, or maybe it was great, but we need to really have not the, not the kind of polished up version of this story that people present when visitors come into town, but the real one of what's going on in the sentiment and how, how good of a deal it was, because, you know, I know people don't want us to talk about this yet, and I'm going to try to you know, reserve it for her podcast where there's only several tens of millions of people listening and say that uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to get to a point where we know what path we're going down, but I know we have to have patience and we haven't even heard what the new owners want. But, you know, it's, we have to learn lessons from other cities and prepare ourselves to make a big deal and be entering into a big negotiation with a, a really significant and proven person out there on the other side of the table. Yeah, I think one of the things that I also really liked about what Arthur Blank did with that new stadium in Atlanta was he really turned it into an, a community investment project. And um, I know Dr. Harlow was pretty aware of all of that, and, and we talked with him some offline about it. But there was really an investment in the community where that stadium was built, which is if you've been to the Georgia Dome, just right next door to the Georgia Dome. But there was a very uh, disinvested neighborhood that had a lot, a really rich history in the African-American community there in Atlanta. And Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons and the United and, and this stadium, um, really said that he was going to make sure that this stadium was a benefit to that community. So from employing people in that community to help build it, employing people in that community to help staff it once open, um, investing in in infrastructure and buildings in that community, it really did lift the community up a great deal. And I think that's something that, um, there are certainly places not too far from where our stadium sits that have been disinvested 
and underinvested in over the years. Um, so again, I, you know, I hope that Mr. Tepper comes into Charlotte and wants to be a part of the community because Arthur Blank has certainly been a huge part of the Atlanta community. And I think that Charlotte would really embrace David Tepper to have him come and be, you know, we don't expect that he's going to live here full time, but I think to know that he really is invested in this community, he's going to spend time in this community other than on game days. Um, and that he wants to improve the community that he's now, one of the most prominent business owners in, I think will go a long way um, to, to making fans, taxpayers, elected officials, and everybody else want to help him succeed uh, as best possible. Mr. Tepper, this message is directly for you. I just built in the last year a new room on top of my garage. I would like to welcome you to to write this down as your primary residence. The rent will be extremely reasonable. And you and I, we're going to spend some quality time together hanging out, shooting some ball on, on the basketball court right outside of your new room. And you will now be welcomed to live here permanently in Charlotte. I hope you will take me up on that. Or if you want to live in District 1, Mr. Tepper, I have a couch. They have a coyote problem near Larkin's house. Anyone who listens knows that. You do not want to put your life at risk, sir. David Tepper seems like a tough dude. I bet David Tepper wrestles coyotes. David Tepper once ate a coyote raw, killed it. David Tepper. David Tepper. Here's to David Tepper. What was that? <laughs> Great. You did this earlier. Cheers. David Tepper. David Tepper. What was that? What was the actual guy's Bill name? Bill Brasky. Bill Brasky. <laughs> All right. So, okay, one of the more pressing yes, matters. Indeed. 20 year old. So, uh, again, uh, real quick um, um, Ponce. Pont City Market. And actually, um, so as you know, I stayed in Atlanta one extra night after everybody left. And I went to Krog City, the Krog City Market um, Saturday for lunch. So I saw two of these, very different in size. The Krog City Market is, is more along the size of the 7th Street Market we have here. Very cool place. But the Pont City Market is an old Sears Roebuck warehouse. I, I, two impressive. Million two, square million. two million. Two million square feet. And... Um, and at the time, I think that they started this renovation on it was in an area that it was very run down. Um, but it is along the Beltline that I mentioned earlier. And the development of it and around it has been astounding. Um, mm. We had several hours there. It's everything from retail to bars and restaurants to event space to offices to apartments. Um, it really was... Mini golf. I had you know, there's like a whole carnival set up on the sixth floor on the roof. It only costs like twenty bucks to throw three basketballs <laughs> into a hoop. I mean, it's not cheap. That's what you want. Um, Adaptive. Reuse. It was, and then you, you know you're up on this roof and you've got a, a view of the the skyline. I mean, it, it really was um, a staggering project. They said they they in one of the uh, speeches they gave in that building they said this is where they close all like the people that they're trying on an economic <laughs> development front. To bring them into uh, Atlanta uh, and relocate there, they close them all in that building. And I think that's something that we've got to start thinking about. I think we do already to some extent. Do we have like a monster building in town? That's well, so I think to some degree, it's it's not two million exactly square apples feet apples, sitting but, around. Well, no, but I think Camp North End over time could start to become how many square feet is that? that? Do you know? Not off the top of my head, but it but... is. It's a boatload. Um, huh. But I do think that. There are things like the Pont City Market that once you see them, you forever when you when someone says Atlanta, if someone says Tark, I'm going to Atlanta this weekend. What should I do? You're going to say you should go check out the Pont City Market. And I think that you know every city has some items that are similar to every other city that's you know 200,000 to a million people. We've all got some of those things. Um, you know the Seventh Street Market is really cool, and the Krog 
city market in Atlanta is really cool, but I don't think that either of those things necessarily is going to be something that people identify with Charlotte yeah. or, or in their, in the Krog market example, it identify with Atlanta, but you will never mention Atlanta without mentioning the Pont city market again. And I think you've got to have as a city, things like that, that are iconic and are, are completely and, and truly unique. And, you know, this Beltline project uh, is not, literally unique in that there's like the high line in new york and there's a couple things like this out there but um it's very rare the pont city market not completely unique but very rare and i think you know we've got to start having some ideas when we go to these inner city visits or when we we see what other places are doing we can't just say well let's just copy that because part of what makes the pont city market so cool is it's it is uncopied so, yeah you can't copy <laughs> you cannot it. copy that and so i think we can draw inspiration from these things without having to feel like we have to just you know, Xerox everything that anyone else has and, and drop it in Charlotte. We've got to figure out what assets we have. Do we have a, a Sears Roebuck warehouse type facility? I mean, somebody had to have a lot of vision to look at that building at that time and, and envision what it could be today and what it is today. Um, and I think we have people with that kind of vision in Charlotte. And I think we have places that could be that, that unique and that dynamic. Um, and I think that's what, you know, if, if the, if everything's about attracting, you know, this younger tech talent, highly educated millennials, all this stuff. That's the kind of stuff you have to have to attract those, those sort of folks. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure this is how these inner city trips are designed where we all drink a ton of Kool-Aid, uh, and, and kind of, you know, come back wanting to do all those things. I think it's important we not duplicate. Um, but I did walk away kind of skeptical at some of the Kool-Aid items I was asked to drink, but with this, with this resounding urge to think big, on a few things. You know, I, I feel like maybe our first six months after learning where the bathrooms were and ramping up on some stuff, we're starting to make some progress. Now I'm wondering, you know, you and I have looked at a few big things. We've looked at a music initiative where we jumped on board with a bunch of folks. And I think that's thinking big, but where's our physical big, where's our, where's our, our equivalent, not, not just ripping it off, but our equivalent of the, the Ponce market, where's our equivalent of, and I think, you could say the cross Charlotte trail to some ex extent uh, of this belt line. Um, you know, wh where are our big ideas and not just in the old, let's add more crazy things that cost a ton of money to uh, on the taxpayer's shoulders, but then how do we get creative with the private sector and everything else to actually make them happen? Because if, if with this, we're spending a lot of time here and I would love, we're not going to solve anything during our short tenures or year long when you'll be here forever. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd like to point back and say, we started that. We, we came up with a couple concepts or a few of the people in town. We heard a great idea and we started championing it. And guess what? 10 years from now, when all of it's in, in reality, we can think, yes, we have a little bit of a legacy of big ideas that we uh, maybe brought into the mix. So that'd be my hope. Yeah. If you and I leave office and have done something like the Pont City Market or the Beltline, I'm sad. Well, let's do both. <laughs> um, what else do we see down there? We saw the the Human and Civil Rights Museum. I'm getting the name. I, I keep wanting to just call it the Civil Rights Museum. It's more than that. It's the the Human and Civil Rights Museum or something to that effect. Anyway, it was an incredibly powerful experience. Um, well, there was a great panel, including former mayor of Atlanta, um, Shirley Fulton. That was right, right? Mm -hmm. um, and our mayor. But then, and they talked about race relations, and they talked about the demographic shifts and and some of the historic things that have happened in terms of race relations in Atlanta, and how that's going today. You know, one of the criticisms of this trip 
towards the end was that they we, we got a lot of highlight reels, which is what you'd expect, but we didn't talk a lot about some of the issues they faced. That panel did talk some, I think, about some of the issues that were faced over the years and how they've dealt with them. Um, we frequently talk about how Charlotte's 50 out of 50 in upward mobility. Atlanta's 49. So Atlanta's facing a lot of the same issues we are. So we can learn lessons from them, how to step up one level? Yeah, something like saying? that. Um, but then going through this museum after that panel was incredible. And I don't know if you had the opportunity to do it, but one of them, one of the things you did was you sit down at a lunch counter, uh, kind of mock up and you put on these headphones and you put your hands on the table. Um, <clears throat> and then for 90 seconds in your ears, just super loud, you're hearing these people coming in as if you are one of the African-American students sitting at the lunch counter at like Woolworth in Greensboro or, or wherever else it was happening. Um, and you can feel the chair starts to vibrate as they're kicking the chair and people are screaming in your ears. Um, I mean, it, like every single person that got up from this, myself very much included, was just completely shaken. And, um, you know, it was it was one of the more sobering things I've ever um, I've ever done. So that museum was incredible. Um, one of the things you and I both noted as we drove past it before we even realized that that was where we were going to be yeah, the, the architecture next day was the incredible architecture and the architect had, had created something that was supposed to kind of emulate hands coming together or arms coming together uh, as people do when they march in protests. And, um, you know, the whole thing was just, uh, you know, we've got some great museums in the city with compelling architecture and compelling stories. Um, I've never been, I don't think as moved at a museum as I was by that museum in that particular exhibit. So I, I think if you kind of tally everything up, I left, I left there thinking that Atlanta, surprisingly in some cases to me, is beating us pretty soundly in, in, some, in some, some business attraction elements, I think, and some big ideas. They, there's clearly more big ideas that have come to fruition there. Um, and uh, fintech, I mean, they, they, the way I've seen their, their institutions and their institutional leadership surround fintech in that, that short period of time, very impressive. I, w- I wish we were doing it at that level. Uh, I-, I think maybe the the Kool-Aid was focusing on, on a lot of those items, and we didn't talk a lot about affordable housing, right? We, we know that we're solving or trying to solve for under 50% AMI levels, you know, somewhere around a 24,000-unit uh, gap uh, that exists. We looked at the same numbers after I asked some questions on why isn't anyone talking about this, 150,000 is the level they're at there. So I think that's one crime, another massive one where, uh, you know, they, they, they are in far worse territory than we are. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, there, there was a lot more than that, but I, I think that like you would expect, we focused on a lot of the areas they wanted us to see and highlight. And I would have liked us to really drop into the, the nasty weeds on some of the things where they're doing worse than us. So we can see, you know, what they're trying to do because maybe we're doing some things better, but, but, but clearly no city wants to drill into that. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily blame them. I mean, if they're, if next year they come to Charlotte for their inner city visit, you know, I could see people's hesitation with wanting to say like, Oh, here's the things we're not good at. Here's the things that we're embarrassed about. Uh, that's not a natural thing for people to want to do. Um, one benefit of doing this as uh, audio only instead of being on TV, like we like we will be tomorrow night. Watch uh, WCCB News Edge again Tuesday are, night. Are we like regulars? I now? think we're the Tuesday night guests now. Yeah. Um, cool. So we'll be on Tuesday night for WCCB News Edge. One of the nice things about being audio only is that I can look up things that I'm trying to think of. 
while we sit here, and no one knows any different. So the, the corrections I'm going to make, uh, that was the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep track of that name for some reason or another. National Center for Civil and Human Rights. The other thing is um, we said that the Pont City Market, 2 million square feet. Camp North End, 1.3 million Shut square up. feet, 76 acres. Are you serious? Dead serious. Wow. 850,000 of those square feet so are So maybe going to be I need renovated. to be paying more attention to Camp North End. And I mean, all the technology. Because I know a lot, a lot of stuff's going on out there. Well, and I don't think, now again, we, you know, we don't know everything about Pond City Market, but uh, I didn't sense that there's some huge sort of tech on, uh, initiative over there, uh, more so than, than anywhere else. But Camp North End, there is, I think. So, I mean, I think that for us, that can be, um, you know, we've got some we've got some amazing places like Tompkins Hall being developed that will have that food hall kind of sense about them with mixed use. Um, but that North End Smart District, kind of thinking of it in the larger sense, which, you know, maybe doesn't technically include Tompkins Hall, but I'll go ahead and lump it in there. But with the blue line, with Tompkins Hall, with Camp North End, with some of these residential neighborhoods that are part of this North End Smart District, I mean, that could be our Pond City Market or, uh, you know, some sort of a kind of sub region within our city. So, you know, I, I think we do, we have to have these iconic type of projects and you can't do something like a camp North end or a Pont city market quickly. And I think that, you know, it, it, it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of support on our end and the community's end, but that's the kind of stuff that people come to your city, they see it and they leave and they don't forget it. And they tell their friends about it. How many people do you think you and I will tell about the Pont City Market uh, over I'll, the next I'll, year? If any, if anyone's going down there right now, right. I'll definitely so say So that's it. exactly why you build these things because we will talk about the Center for Civil and Human Rights. We'll talk about the Pont City Market. We'll talk about the Beltline. And that's why they want to show those things to us because we be, you become – an ambassador for Atlanta or, you know, hopefully people come to Charlotte and see things that are really unique. And they say, you've got to go to Charlotte because you've got to see fill in the blank. And what is, what is our blank? And so, um, Dean and DeLuca. Yeah. Well, not anymore. May they rest in peace. Um, anything else from Atlanta before we get to tonight's meeting? No, I mean, look, I, I it was a, it was a great experience. Um, I think you got to really dissect the Kool-Aid from the lessons learned, but uh, there were lessons learned. The aquarium was cool. We went there for one of the dinners. I'd been there before, but uh, i tell you where I'd been once before. The but baby not beluga. That was yeah. delicious. <laughs> he's, he's kidding, <laughs> friends at, at uh, PETA. Um, one thing that I had been to for an event, but I hadn't gotten to explore and did while we were there was the botanical gardens, which is crazy. Like it, I don't know how many acres it is, but it's enormous, and it's in the middle of of one of their biggest parks. I mean, like a central park sized park. So again, you know, we we've got some cool parks. Freedom Park is one of the most beautiful parks I've, I know anywhere. But you look at the scale of some of the parks in some of these other cities, uh, and that you know, I think it's Forsyth Park that the Botanical Gardens is a part of. That's right, right off the edge of Midtown. It's not like that's out in some suburban area. It's right in the heart, I and mean, that's very valuable real estate. I don't know how long ago they built it, but um, you know, I think we've got to, and that's a county issue more so. But we've got as a community to be more aggressive about that because those are the type of spaces again that um, that kind of create a sense of place and they they attract people. So and they and they attract investment. Uh, so other than that, oh, I do have to give a, a shout out to um, oh to my new best friend. Who? From yesterday morning. So after Atlanta, I drove. Oh. Yeah, come on. If, you, oh. if you'd have met a former president yesterday, you'd have been mentioning it on the show. It's fine. You've just been talking about it like all day. So, Well, I was excited. I've only ever met two presidents in my life now. 
And uh, I got to meet President Jimmy Carter yesterday and his wife, Rosalind. Future presidents or, or current or past? I've only ever met past presidents. I've never met a current president. You've, but you've also, you have met a future president. You? No. Yes. Me. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, Tim Kaine? Nope. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, anyhow. So I, I did. I got to go to Jimmy Carter's Sunday school class yesterday. Got to sit. My uh, my dad came down. We sat on the. Is that like a huge thing? Like that? Because I've heard about this. That like like are there thousands of people that come gather every single Sunday? So, uh, thankfully, through a random connection from my dad's days at Lowe's Home Improvement and their involvement with Habitat for Humanity, uh, my dad knows Jimmy Carter's sister-in-law. Uh, so we we got uh, special seating. We actually you scored got, tickets to this thing. Well, yeah, we scored a seat on the same pew as Jimmy and Rosalind Carter for the, for the church service after his Bible study or his Sunday school. Um, so it was pretty pretty amazing. But no, the people who got there, the first people started lining up. They only can seat like two hundred folks, and there's like a two hundred person overflow. This is in the middle of nowhere, Southwest Georgia. Uh, the first people to get there were at midnight the night before. The last people who actually made it in the building were there at 5 a.m. for a 10 a.m. Sunday school class. And then some, you know, now they have to turn people away. Uh, it's it's pretty wild. On on And he teaches every other Sunday I now. I mean, did he say some profound stuff? He did. On the, on the Sundays that he's not teaching Sunday school, their average attendance is 30 people. On the ones it is, it's like 400 and some counting the overflow, and then they turn away a couple other hundred this thing is, is pretty so amazing. he might be able to go mega church soon. He could go mega church. I don't think that's the direction he's headed. But for 93 years old, this man is is incredible. And uh, he did. He, he had a very profound message that I mentioned in my council topics tonight about uh, four lesser-known prophets in the Bible, the impact they made, and that you don't have to be well-known or have some big platform or, or famous name to make an impact in the world. And it was uh, you know, it was incredible. And to see the, the people in that room – the diversity of the people in that room, they had come from literally three different continents, probably 20 different states. Um, people had traveled from France just to be there and to see Jimmy Carter. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, there's only been 45 people in the history of our country that have been president of the United States, and there's only uh, a handful of them now living. And so uh, it was pretty special to meet him. And, uh, and, you know, there's probably not a lot of time left to see him. So anybody who has an excuse to be – um, in southwestern Georgia or can find an excuse to be there, you can look up. It's uh, Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia. You can look up the schedule of when he's teaching. And I can tell you that despite the, like, seven-plus-hour drive back yesterday afternoon, it was worth every mo- minute of that long, <laughs> miserable drive. Mm. Uh, I highly recommend it. And and if President Carter – I doubt you're a listener of the show, but if, if someone who's friends with President Carter is listening to the show – We'd love to have him on as a guest, even if he just wants to call in. So the offer is on the table. Indeed, we'd love to have him on. I didn't get a chance to ask him yesterday. So uh, what? Back to uh, regular business now. What 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 did we do tonight? We had a meeting, and we passed some stuff. Okay. We passed an environmental resolution. We did. Uh, we had a lot of folks in the crowd with um, signs printed on paper made from trees. Your your joke was hilarious there. Definitely uh, calling that you you, the you expressed your support. Then you said perhaps next time just wear green t shirts. Yes, we we don't need to print all of that. And then I, I I asked them to throw them in the trash can on the way out. But I think it was good that while we're all not fully on board with every element of this, and there's a lot to figure out, 
it was a, a unanimous vote. So um, we've passed a non-binding resolution, uh, but the the real work is to come. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that that happened, and uh, I know you are too. I am. I'm also happy that we passed, uh, in unanimous fashion, the approval of the kind of add-on to the Bojangles Coliseum Ovens Auditorium project. I think that's going to give it a lot more uh, viability and flexibility for attracting the type of events we want to at those facilities. Uh, so that was a slam dunk today. Um, what else did we pass? Um, oh, there's a thing called Project Quattro. Oh, yes. How did we forget that? So we all know it's Amazon now. We're all allowed to say it. Oh, wait. Are we allowed? Yes, we're allowed to say it. And um, I, I kind of made in my comments because I wanted to make sure it was clear uh, that this there was some false information running around that, that some folks uh, thought we were giving massive multi-million dollar um, incentives to a company to come here, Amazon. That was not the case. There was incentives, but the actual storyline is that Roughly $16 million of infrastructure and road improvements around this area, which is near the airport, were already on our plan to do, and they weren't funded and prioritized yet at the top of the list. An opportunity came with this business development deal uh, for the low cost of $13.4 million uh, to get that done, and that was through TIGS, Tax Increment Grants, which, again, are, are kind of risk-free to the taxpayer because the new tax revenues they create are what ultimately pays that. It doesn't get paid unless that happens. So we got over $16 millions, uh, million of infrastructure and road investment for 13.4 dollars uh, that is risk-free. And uh, side benefit, we get 1,400 new jobs in this Amazon new high-tech distribution environment. So I, I, to me, that's kind of a no-brainer thing to vote on. You know, when you get the opportunity to support someone in their startup business like this, I believe the young man's name is Jeffrey. Je- uh, Jeffrey so Jeffrey, yeah. congratulations on this startup God. business of yours. I really feel like it's, I really feel like this could be big. I remember my first distribution center. <laughs> I mean, fourth. <laughs> so congratulations. Oh, by the way, uh, Mr. Bezos, Whichever location Mr. Tepper decides to uh, plant a flag, whether it's Tarek's garage apartment or my couch, uh, the other will still be available if you need a Charlotte residence. Mr. Bezos, I'd like to go ahead and put you uh, number one on the list. You you can have uh, deferral rights to that 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 place above the garage first. And Mr. Get, Tepper, do you see how quickly he sold you? All right, all right. Let guy? me revise that. This is a tech thing, but whatever. The Look, first one of you that call can get David, it. David, that's Jeff, it. Jeff, there's no need to fight. <laughs> there's plenty of couches to go around. True, true. I'll build a new, a new, a third level above that. Um, so that was cool. Yeah. So Project Quattro, and it was it was interesting because uh, shout out to our friend at the Charlotte Business Journal, Ashley Fay. She. Uh, <laughs> She kind of sniffed this thing out a couple of weeks ago. She she put like I guess the five facts that were out on on in public realm on paper and looked at them and went, oh, it's Amazon. And so she wrote this article and um and then we had media outlets contacting us last week going, we figured it out. It's Amazon. It's like yeah, Ashley said that three weeks ago. Um, so shout out to Ashley for for breaking the story. Sorry we couldn't confirm it, but you know how that goes. But yeah, it was just like oh. This isn't this isn't very uh, very veiled at all. I know exactly who this is for, but um, you know we are excited. Anytime we can bring that many new jobs, good paying jobs with benefits, um, and and 
create more activity around our airport, which is our biggest economic engine out there, uh, right near the intermodal yard. I think this is exactly where that project should be. And, um, and again, for, for one of the largest, uh, strongest companies in our country, for us to continue to add to their presence in our community, I think is something that's worth supporting. Do you have anything else to talk about before we get to this next segment I have prepared for us with a lot of preparation? Is this more stupid movie questions? Indeed it is, my friend. Okay, are you ready? I've got a few questions. Ready? I'm going to start easy. In what movie does the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man begin destroying New York City? Like I said, we're going to start easy. One for one. Good job. How many are there? I don't know. We'll see. According to Buddy the Elf, the four food groups are candy, candy canes, candy corns, and... Maple syrup. It's just syrup. Well, but clearly he means maple. We'll give you uh, your 1.5 of two. That's two. In the pro shop in Caddyshack, Rodney Dangerfield says, if you buy a hat like Ted Knight's, you get a free... Ball cleaning. Bowl of soup. (laughs) Oh, my God. Golf balls. In Dumb and Dumber, what does Lloyd spike Harry's drink with? I feel like I know everything about this movie, but I don't remember that. Turbolax. Wrong. Uh, what is Bill Murray's occupation in Groundhog Day? He's a groundskeeper. Meteorologist. Terrible. Oh, Groundhog Not even Day. close, I was thinking dude. of Caddyshack still. Yeah, okay. What is Napoleon Dynamite's favorite sport? I mean, he likes... Tetherball. Uh, in what movie did Jennifer Aniston's boss ask her to wear 37 pieces of flair? Office space. Oh, wow. Wow, that's impressive. Let's see, last one. What was John Belushi's Delta Tau Chi name in Animal House? Ah. I'm going to be mad when you Bluto. Oh, come on. We would have accepted Flounder, Pinto, or Otter, even though those wouldn't have been correct. Well, Larkin, once again, you've proven us right. You're (laughs) terrible at all this stuff. Well, I can live with that. Okay. It's a good segment. Let's do it every week. Yeah. Well, let's hear from the listeners. Vote on that. Do you want me to keep showing him up on this? So actually, Has it it run its course? before uh, Before we close this out, I will mention we are now as of the end of this meeting on our summer meeting schedule, which has us meeting twice in July and either once or twice in August. Um, we are doing a couple of remote recordings where we'll be on site at a couple of different spots, including a uh, large company that we've mentioned previously or alluded to previously. Uh, we'll be doing that at some mm-hmm. point in July. We're working on something to possibly do with a couple of other companies and organizations in the, in the community where we'll be recording episodes at their campuses or offices mm-hmm. Um, so we'll look forward to taking R and D and the QC on the road. We'll keep you posted. If any of those opportunities are open to the public to come watch a recording of R and D and the QC, because as we've seen with our friends from pod save America, who just sold out the D pack last yeah. night in Durham, uh, there is, there is a tour to be had here and we intend to do it. So, uh, as we don't have meetings every week, we'll look for other opportunities to record the show. Uh, we'll keep you posted on our Facebook page. If we're going to n- skip a week, uh, or have an, unorthodox episode and if so where you can come and watch it but um we appreciate you listening like the page share the podcast rate the podcast preferably five stars even if you're mad at us for being really loud at the intro Mm. and uh we love you 
and we'll talk to you soon. We're out. We're